0: This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to WildRollsFarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more. To share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Jillian Byers. Jillian, along with her family, own and operate Blue Ridge Farms, located in Blue Ridge, Alberta, which is approximately an hour and a half northwest of Edmonton, Alberta. They started their operation in 2011 with seven heifers, a dog, and two cats, and now are raising 400 head of cattle, pasture-raised poultry, and free-range pastured pork. Jillian sold their farm goods at a number of farmers markets and in 2019 made the leap into starting their own farm store. Today, she shares with us her journey through agriculture and how they grew their family farm business. Before we get to Jillian's story, I'm going to share with you this week's listener review. This week's review comes from Andy Campbell via Apple Podcasts. This five-star rating and review is titled, Love from a Non-Farming Rural Woman. I live in a county surrounded by farms, but am not from a farming background myself. I've dreamed of homesteading one day and stumbled upon this delightful podcast. I love hearing about how the women interviewed found their way into agriculture. But more importantly, I leave each episode inspired because these women are female role models. In a time when the world feels like it's falling apart, hearing conversations with a group of ladies that are wise, humble, and take such excellent care of their land and their communities is a breath of fresh air. I love this podcast. Thank you, Caitlin, for bringing these women's voices into my earbuds as well as your own. Well, thank you so much, Andy Campbell, for your kind rating and review over on Apple. And my friends, I encourage you, if you haven't left a rating and review yet, please do, wherever you listen to the show. That way, this will help these stories get into other earbuds just like yours. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Jillian. Hello, Jillian. How are you? Hi, Caitlin. I'm doing very well, thank you. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today, my neighbor to the north in Alberta. <laughs> I'm excited to share your story and for my listeners to get to know you better.
1: Thank you. Me too. Me too. Very much so. I'm excited to hear our story. It's been quite the journey.
0: Yes, I'm so excited to hear all about it. So tell us who you are, where you're from, and how did you get your start in agriculture?
1: Yeah, you bet. So my name's Jillian Byers. I live in Blue Ridge, which is about one and a half hours northwest of Edmonton. My hubby and I, we bought our farm uh, in 2011 and I had just graduated from school and we were together for about a year and we, we jumped into agriculture. Both of us have an agriculture background to a very minor extent. I grew up on a hobby farm and he grew up in Vegreville. And his family had a few cows and we had a few horses, that kind of thing. And then uh, we just had the same passions and we decided to go into farming and and get some cows. (laughs) So it's been quite a journey, that's for sure.
0: Well, that's a way to start, right? Like go on a few dates, be together for a year. Well, let's start a farm. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah thanks to, all thanks to eHarmony too believe it or not it actually works
0: <laughs> hey there you go <laughs> honestly I met my husband yeah. online as well and I think about it now how on earth would you meet a farmer otherwise unless you were in agriculture or that was your neighbor or whatever it was so I I th- I think a lot of people in agriculture can thank the internet for meeting their spouse.
1: <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah, the hours that we pull, there's definitely no time for for dating or anything like that when you're exactly. single. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so tell us more about your childhood and growing up in agriculture.
1: Yeah. So I was actually I was I was born in Vernon, BC in the Okanagan. And as soon as I was a few months old, my parents moved back down to New Zealand. So my dad's from there and my mom was born there but raised in BC and I lived on the dairy farm until I was six years old. So I think they had about 600 milky cows so pretty decent sized dairy farm back in the day and it was on the west coast of New Zealand on the South Island in a little tiny town called Westport and my first memories are definitely of the dairy barn, getting my bikes stuck in the dairy barn and climbing up the hay bales in the in the barn and going down to the ocean and and lots of rain because we were on the west coast. After that, my my brother and I my parents moved back up to BC to the Okanagan and we had just a small hobby farm until about I was 16 or so. And we had horses and I rode competitively jumping and eventing and things like that. And uh, we had calves and dogs and cats and chickens. And my grandparents, they also had a a fallow deer farm, which was pretty unique not many people have deer farms so that was kind of cool and then my parents moved to Alberta for work and I stayed behind and finished off my my last year of high school and I stayed with my grandparents but they actually had to go down to they went they were snowbirds they went down to Arizona for about three months and I got to finish off my grade 12 year alone there so that was fun actually I was always very independent in that sense I had a couple horses and yeah, I learned how to trim their feet because I didn't really want to pay the farrier. My dad wasn't around anymore and, and whatnot. He became pretty self-sufficient in that sense. So it was a great childhood. We we did lots of skiing up on Silver Star Mountain. We had Cal Lake, the Okanagan Lake there. So always very active and outdoors and always surrounded by animals.
0: That just sounds like you had such... A wide variety of experiences growing up, whether that be in B.C. or Alberta or all the way over in New Zealand. But, you know, being tied to agriculture throughout that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very always tied to animals. My dad is a farmer through and through to the bone, being a dairy farmer. And even though they kind of moved away from the farm and everything in New Zealand, it's always stuck with them. And has been a huge resource to Brett my husband and I now because obviously running cattle and whatnot, he's got a ton of
0: experience and has helped us
1: a lot. Has the fencing. The fencing and cattle
0: handling for sure. The great deal of fencing, the great big job of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the never ending job of fencing.
1: Right? <laughs> right. The never ending,
0: yeah. Right. So after high school you actually went to post secondary into forestry. So tell me how you ended up there rather than taking school for agriculture.
1: Yeah. I didn't even honestly I didn't even know there was silver agriculture. My grandpa was a forester, and my dad had a forestry consulting company, so I grew up around foresters in BC, It's big forest country where we were, and it was just something that was second nature. I would go and help my dad doing single culture work in the bush, and it was just another you know, kind of tool in my toolbox that I had, and I felt very comfortable going into forestry at U of a. And coming from a very small town, from the town we lived in was called Lavington, and I think we had maybe thousand people or so. It's a pretty small little town. And going to the big city of Edmonton, it was quite overwhelming. But the faculty of forestry was amazing because it was such a beautiful little family. Everyone was very like-minded in the sense that they wanted to be outdoors and they're connected to nature in that sense. So I did It's a four-year degree, a forest science degree, I took five years because <laughs> I, I still like to ride my horses every day, and I, I helped out a job and did a little bit of partying in there too. <laughs> so it was it was lots of fun for sure. It's funny, though, because at the U of A, the forest faculty, there's a seating area, and it's right beside the agriculture seating area. So these Aggies would walk by, and I'm like, who are these people with cowboy boots and, and wranglers? Like, what are they doing wearing these clothes in this school, in this big town? So automatically I was drawn because, you know, I've got my cowboy boots on and my jeans. And so I had to go meet these people. So sure enough, I start meeting these people and start, you know, having some good times together. And I was became really good friends with a lot of these people in agriculture at the University of Alberta. And it's really neat because today, being in agriculture, I can actually, I'm actually in contact was quite a few of the women and the men that I went to school with, more so than forestry, for sure.
0: That's so neat. And I love how, you know, the kids in the cowboy boots and the Wranglers were sure thing that you knew they were the eggy students.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who are these people? <laughs> yeah.
0: That was basically the same experience that I had when I went to college. It was like you could point out the typically the people that were in the camouflage were in the forestry and then we went over to the eggy kids who had their their boots and cowboy <laughs> their cowboy boots and their jeans yep. on so yeah <laughs> you obviously have a love for the outdoors and agriculture and animals and all of the things so take us back to the start where you and your husband purchased your now farm blue ridge farm and you know, how you guys got your start in agriculture to where you guys are today? Yeah, so
1: I finished up my last year of school. I graduated. We had been looking, I think we started looking in early March at this property because Brett was working up around Fox Creek. He works as a consultant in the oil industry. And when I met him, he was up in Fort Nelson and before that, Alaska, down in Texas. So he kind of worked all over and then he met me and he kind of came back to Edmonton and then worked closer to home out of Fox Creek. So we were able to see each other on a regular basis and like, well, we both love farming and we we're both drawn to that that idea and that lifestyle. And so, yeah, we found this property here. It was an old farm. The young couple, her family was from Manitoba and she just wanted to move back they had young kids and she wanted to be back around her family so we found it it was yeah and in, in the winter time it and it's been for sale all winter and uh, we remember trudging around the property line it's uh, two quarter sections in the deep snow it was super deep it was like over the top of the knees but we wanted to have a good look at it and following brett through the snow and okay like whatever i'm done with this and we had a good look at it and he put an offer and obviously yeah, I, I didn't have money being in school, I came out with a, a small little debt, but not too bad. And, yeah, the offer was accepted, and we moved in in June. We got the session on June 22nd, and we moved all the stuff that we had, not very much, up to here, and we started off, and it's been a whirlwind since. So that first year, I think we started off with seven heifers, you know, just started off really small. The next year, I think we had about 11. We had a few, couple dogs. We started off with one dog, one cat, and her kitten, And then the next year we had, I think we upped it to 11 heifers, and then we really jumped into it. We started learning about um, the different government grants that were offered at the time through Growing Forward, and then we learned about FCC, and we got different bank loans. We've got three different banks that we work with. And what else? The Feeders Association was a huge one for us to be able to purchase cattle and then put down that 5% deposit, and we were able to up our numbers. I think we went up to 50 peppers for grazing in the third year and then we're up to 250 and then soon 800 and that was that was quite the leap for sure we in that time we were having to tear down old corrals we saved all the old barn boards and we built a lot of stuff with that with that old wood lots of old buildings and stuff we've had to fix up Uh, fence lines we've had to put in and fix the fence system that we have here was actually designed my, my dad, the New Zealand system of the electric fence. We've got a Gallagher, and it works like a hot dime as long as the power is still going. So you have to check it, and you do have to maintain it, but it works really well. So lots of pounding posts and getting set up, you know, purchasing trucks and trailers, and just little by little, because it all takes time and money. And... It, you know, when you're a young couple and you don't have anything, you're not really handed down anything, It's uh, you have to do it as you can, right? But everything that we earned, we put back into the farm. I started my own little company right at the university for log scaling. And so I was working in forestry for a couple different mills. And uh, Brett was in the oil industry. Now we just kept putting the money back into the farm and buying more cows. So we did that and we were having a you know a good time, very much in love. We're like, you know what, let's have a baby and get married so we had our daughter in 2014 and we got married in 2015 (laughs) that was the year of the drought so it was great for our wedding we we had excellent weather (laughs) lots of grasshoppers they were jumping all over my dress (laughs) but it was very stressful and that's when we decided you know it's time to diversify and kind of manage our risk a bit better so we ended up going more into cow-calf in 2016 and we also kind of started butchering more of our own meat then too and that's when that was Brett's idea he he had a beef that was finished and he took it to the butcher and yeah he's like well we've got all this ground beef now because we just ground the whole thing and it was way too much for us we gave some to friends and family and like well what do we do with the rest and Brett's like well just start selling it (laughs) he makes it sound so simple right just start selling it. So I, I had to kind of figure out what I was going to do there. And that's when we decided on building a brand and a name and and start selling a bit of meat. That was the seed. That was the very beginning. <laughs> a very interesting time having a baby and then starting a new business and also going back to work. So we started that in January 2016. I have a friend who was into websites and stuff and he came up and hung out with us for a couple of days. They're like, what should we call this brand? And Brett's like, well, we rent quite a few different farms around Blue Ridge and different pastures for making hay. to make our own hay every year and for grazing our cattle because we like to keep them as close to home as possible. But we needed more land and we couldn't afford to buy more land. So we rent as much as we can. And we wanted to have a name that would encompass like all of the land and the other families and the other farms. So we decided on a simple name, Blue Ridge Farms, and that's how that name arose. And then we had to put together a brand, and literally the brand I put together in about thirty seconds. I'm like, I want to, I want beef a cow, a chicken, and a turkey, and because that's what we wanted to raise for meat. And we put the name Blue Ridge Farms on there, and it all slapped together, and and that was that. I'm like, oh, I'll change it, and you know, in a few months once I've gotten things going. But no, I've never changed it. <laughs> It's it's worked. It's simple, and it works. And then we decided we wanted to have another baby. So I was pregnant in 2016, up January, and we had our second son in November. In that time, I was trying to learn how to run this website, and it was really difficult with our friend because I was wanting to do all these updates, but he was busy, and he couldn't always do them when I wanted him to. So I said, you know what? I need to learn how to do this. So I took over the back end of our website. It's a WordPress website. And I, I didn't really know what I was doing so help from him and he helped me a little bit. And then I ended up taking it right over and hiring a bit of a marketing company that would send me YouTube videos and they would show me how to do things and I would have to pay them a lot of money. So but then I would know how to do it and then I was good to go. So that was a very smart investment on my my end of things was getting that knowledge and having that power to be able to update the website by myself. And then I'm like, Well, we started raising chickens and pigs and turkeys in two thousand and sixteen and we had all of these animals. Like, Well we need to sell we need to sell these animals, right? So I started marketing them and at the end of September, with the last four weeks of the St. Albert market, I did those. I was extremely pregnant. We had an old freezer in the back of our truck and was handing out meat. I had a scale. I didn't even have labels. I'd get the glimpse that the person wanted. I would very pregnant. i I go up to the back of the truck and i pull it out and, and I'd come and wait on them. That's how I started with that market, and I did that for four markets at the very end of the year. It was super cold. I had this big, giant coat. It was my dad's coat, and my mom was watching my daughter at the time because they lived in St. Albert. So that was actually a, a really lucky stroke there, having them to watch watch my daughter. Over time, we ended up kind of building the brand a bit more, and I, I enrolled in the St. Albert market in 2017 for the full year, every single week I go. We invested in a really nice glass-top freezer so we could showcase our meat a bit better. I thought that was pretty important so people could actually see the product. And I got some banners and and just made it look a little more legit, I guess you could say. So we put it on wheels, and uh, we used my old horse trailer. It's like this 25-year-old horse trailer, but it did the trick at the time. And for the ramp, we had plywood and blocks, and I'd have to get somebody to help me to push it up into the trailer after the market every time. So we made really good friends with the vendors beside us. That was a lot of fun for sure, making those relationships. And yeah, I did that every week. Brett would come once in a while to the market, but he was needed at home, you know, handling the cattle and making sure that everything was tickety-boo at home here. And then also, we were getting into making our own hay. We used to get it custom done, but then you can't always get them out when you need them, and then you end up with wet hay and poor quality feed. So we decided, no, we got to be self-sufficient, and we invested in some a baler at the time, and we had our tractor already, and those were some big purchases, especially because we wanted to build a house. You know, a five-year plan to build a house, and uh, it didn't happen. We were buying tractors instead, but that's quite okay. And yeah, we've really gotten into making our own feed, which is which has been really good to be self-sufficient. So he was doing that throughout the summer. I was marketing meat. That was 2017. Our cow herd was growing, I think, up to about 150 cow-calf pairs by then. We had our son by then. so We had the two kids, and I dropped them off at my mom quite often, and I'd go in the night before the market. So it was it was a big deal, you know, prepping for the market on a Friday and then going in the night before and then, and then being there all day on the Saturday. Sometimes I'd even do a few other markets in Edmonton on the Sunday if I if, if I had a bit of extra products left over. So that worked out pretty well there. And then in 2018 we had uh, the enclosed trailer. We invested in that, and we were feeling pretty legit, right? So that was good. I didn't actually think I'd be returning in 2018 because we wanted to have one more baby. And I was also pregnant for that market. So I did the farmer's market in St. Albert every single week, and I also did white quartz. That was on Tuesdays. And it was a very busy season, so I had the two little kids, pregnant, loading up my trailer and going in. Again, Brett was really busy making hay and being at the farm, so he wasn't a ton of help, to be honest. But he was there, you know, in the background and whatnot. I did it. I was, I was pregnant. I got vendors beside me to help me load up, or even the market staff are amazing, and they'd come over and push the freezer into the trailer, and away we'd go. But I loved the markets. I really did. And it was it was funny because going back, like. When I was in university, I would go to the St. Albert Farmer's Market as a customer, and I'd walk around, and I always had this desire to be a vendor. I thought these people were just amazing for having these businesses and wanting to sell their products, and the environment was just so lively and energetic, and I just loved it. And I had no clue, like, I was like, well... I would never be a vendor here. Like, I have no business and I have no products or anything like that. Like, it'll just it never happen, right? And then I was in forestry with no connection to food. So it's funny how it all panned out in the end because I've always had a passion for healthy eating and and living well and, and good nutrition and whatnot. So now, looking back on it, it's pretty cool that I got to be a vendor and have that experience and go through all of that. And now I'm quite happy not to be a vendor anymore and to be able to, be a customer again and go back to the (laughs) markets and be back here at at our home. But 2018, was that was kind of our last major year at the farmer's markets. It was amazing because we really got to connect with the customers. I got to know people on a very personal basis. You know, they really became part of our Farm Fresh family. So I did that. And then after that, I kind of said, okay, guys, I'll be doing monthly delivery. And I continued doing a monthly delivery to St. Albert's every month and that was I'd bring product in and people would come and meet me with my little farmer's market trailer a neat trailer and they'd line up and they'd come and grab their boxes and whatnot and that worked really well I did that all through winter and then throughout 2019 also that's when I'm like well I think we need to like make it a little more professional because this is this business is still growing it's still happening and so in 2019 there was a building a couple buildings actually that I had my eye on for buying and turning into a farm store. And they are off at the farm, like up the road at, this, at a different farm. We actually have our cows there. And the, the older couple had passed, and so the family was auctioning off the items. It was a farm auction. And so I went and bid on this, <laughs> this little building, and I'll never forget cause of course, you know three kids. Well, I had to have one of them on the hip, and there's all these people standing around, and I've never bid. Right? Usually, when we go to farm auctions, he's usually the one to do the bidding and stuff. So I had my my number or whatever, and <laughs> I didn't want to mess out. So I'm like sticking my number way up in the air. <laughs> I'll never forget. Like I was bidding against a couple other guys, and I'll never forget the bidder announce guy. So he's like, "Okay, lady, you got it. You're gonna outbid yourself." <laughs> It was a funny feeling. So I got the building, and our friends, they have a construction company. So They hauled it home for us, and we towed it in. We dug it down a bit, and we put the building in where it is now. And I'm like, okay, I better look into like permits and stuff like that. So I contacted a lady that I know at the county, and she was doing all of that. And the building had to be 30 meters from the road. That was very important. Well, I didn't calculate that. And we dug it in, and I'd done some landscaping. I had been mowing the, the it's all pasture where we have the farm store right now. I've been mowing and mowing the grass to make it look really pretty, right? Well, she she paces it out, and it's 31 meters. <laughs> it was just enough distance from the road. So it was legit. It was good to go. We trenched in power in 2019. We got all of that hooked up. I had to have an electrician come in and just sign off on everything. And we had to make a couple of adjustments there. That was the tricky one, make sure that it's the building could handle all of the power surges and whatnot because I've got a big freezer in here and a fridge and then I run the heaters, so that was an important one to make sure we had that legit and um, up to code. I continued mint deliveries through the winter for 2019 and then in 2020 I'm like okay let's do Alberta Open Farm Days, but COVID hit and it was a total gong show. It was completely different because People were wanting to connect to the farm and eat farm fresh. They didn't want to go to the grocery store. So my sales just skyrocketed. I felt very lucky because in January of 2020, I decided that I was like, okay, this is going to be the year where I'm going to, like, ramp things up. So I stuck a bunch of beef in our feeder pen to start finishing. My like, gosh, I hope I can sell these beef, right? And it just evolved. So I was in the way I was actually prepared to handle the demand for on the beef side of things. Pork, not so much. We just didn't have enough at the time. So we really, you know, tried to take advantage of that. You know, 2020 was definitely a silver lining for us small farms. We had lots of people coming out to the farm every single day. I was like, I have to get this farm store open. I put the meat boxes at the end of the driveway for the social distance and all of that. But for the, for the most part, it was like, definitely have to get a farm store open. So we worked on finishing the inside, got all the insulation up made it look pretty i got my big freezer in that was a big investment we got it looking pretty nice we signed up for Alberta open farm days and that was august 16th and that was also our grand opening over 400 people arrived it was incredible they were lined up out the door we were open from 11 until 4 and there was a lineup the entire time it was incredible We had a barbecue. I had my girlfriend, she makes fire roasted pizzas. She sold out. I pretty much sold out. And then we had also a little mini farmer's market. We had a bunch of different vendors and most of those vendors are all in our farm store now. So it was a pretty cool way to kick all off for our little farm store family, for sure. That was 2020, which after that, it kind of exploded
0: even more. There are so many good things (laughs) to unpack throughout that whole story, Jillian. When I'm Listening to this, the one word that keeps popping up into my head over and over again is resilient. Like, I just feel like you have had these challenges or these things pop up along the last five years. And instead of being discouraged and giving up on your hopes and dreams, you have found different ways to work around them by saying, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to get out. Or I'm going to find the resources out there that can help me figure this out so I can be as sufficient and efficient as possible. So good for you. Like, congratulations for that, because I know none is easy. And, you know, looking at it now people may see you and your story and think, wow, like she's done all of these things. Like it must not be that hard because, you know, you're here, you're, you're working and you're doing all of these things, but there's so much work that goes into the back end of all of this. So again, congratulations for all that you guys have accomplished in a relatively short amount of time. Thank you very much. (laughs) It probably doesn't seem like a short amount of time to you guys for the amount of work that it took. but
1: (laughs) (laughs) It definitely flies by. The years go
0: fast. Yeah, for sure. Shop Wild Rose Farmer is an online store specializing in apparel and accessories for the fine farming, ranching, and homesteading community that we are blessed to all be a part of. The shop includes quality graphic t-shirts that I promise are going to be your next favorite shirt. Plus, we can't forget the tank tops to even out those farmer's tans that you're going to get from your new favorite tea. Plus, hats, crewnecks, mugs, and more that you are just going to love. Your purchase from Shop Wild Rose Farmer directly supports the Rural Woman podcast. Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com slash shop to check out the new latest and greatest designs. So you talked a little bit about the plans that had to go into getting your building on your property to make it a legitimate business. Is that something that the information is readily available or is it with farm stores in Alberta? Is it more of a new thing with these regulations? Tell us more about that and kind of the back end of actually getting this business up and running to where it is a legal business to on your farm
1: honestly, there's not a ton of information until you do go digging. The first resource I contacted was my health inspector, who I already had a relationship with, because before having our farm store, we opted out of our garage. So we have about nine freezers in our garage. (laughs) And so my health inspector would come about once a year, and he would give me the check of approval, or he'd say, you need to do this or that or whatever to make changes. He was always very good, very supportive. Some health inspectors, they can be a little more on the picky side, but he's been amazing. And he definitely was always pitching and wanting us to succeed. So I contacted him. I said, okay, what do I need to do? The next call was to my county because it was going to be a new building and a business. And I talked to the appropriate people there, and they were super helpful. They said, okay, you have to do this. You have to, you know, fill out these forms submit them to council, and then come and talk to us in front of a meeting. So I had to go and talk to the town council and just kind of give them a lowdown of what I was doing. Again, they were also very excited and supportive about a new business popping up in our town, especially in Blue Ridge. So Blue Ridge is 20 minutes away from White Court, but we are the same county. And so they were very excited to see this new business coming out, especially in Blue Ridge, which is a hamlet of maybe 350 people. We don't have a big population. We have a gas station. There was an old school. It's shut down. We have a hall, a splash park, and a library. That's about it. So to have a new business was pretty exciting. That was the two main things, was the health inspector and then the county getting those permits. The other one was getting the electrical permits, and then we also had to get a building permit. The building permit was really simple because it was just a one-room building, one door, I've got four windows. We didn't have to have any extra fire escape or anything like that. But I did have to put in wheelchair access, additional lighting if the power goes out. And then we had to have a fire extinguisher. So three really simple things. The electrical was definitely a little bit more tricky because we, we kind of did that ourselves. But it was all up to code. And once we got different breaker box installed, again, just had to figure out what we needed to do. And then just did it. So those were yeah, the four main main things health inspector, county, building permits, and electrical.
0: That's great. So tell us about some of the biggest challenges that you have faced so far when it comes to your farm store.
1: I think probably the biggest one, there's there was just so much doubt. And it's funny, there still is. Like my weekends since November have been packed. I've been Busy, I've maybe had a few five-minute lulls, but otherwise there's always somebody in the store. <laughs> During those five-minute lulls, I'm like, okay, that's it, no one else is coming. And I think having that doubt, I'm like, I just need to kick that out the door because really the community has come together and they're really showing that support and whatnot. Otherwise, little things like getting it heated, so having heaters, and, you know, worrying about the power going out, little fluctuations like that. So I make sure to check it daily or at least every couple of days. Then we had to invest in, in certain things. We put up like a little playground. So definitely money is, has been a limiting factor. I want to do more, but I can't until I earn a bit more kind of thing. But it's slowly coming to our, And I think doing it slowly allows me to do it well and really think it out and really plan. So I've got a notebook where I just write and write and write and I have all these ideas. And, and sometimes they work out really well. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, no, what was I thinking? And I got that idea out. But the ideas are all written out and they're thought out. And so when I have enough funds to actually put them into action, I feel very confident in them. And really, it comes down to that intuition, like, is this idea going to work? And I'll, sometimes I'll hash it out with my family or with Brett, with my husband. And, you know, sometimes they're very supportive. Most of the time they are. But sometimes they're like, oh, Julian, you don't know, like... And I'll do it anyways, and, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And I think you just have to try. And if you have that gut deep urge to do something, I think you have to do it, right? For sure. Otherwise, I'm not not too many major things. There's always little things. Like in raising animals, I mean, sometimes you have losses that are unexpected. Sometimes you have meat that's not, you know, it's not cut exactly how you want it to be cut by the butcher. And so you'll bring home these that are huge, and they're like, oh, gosh, how am I going to sell this, you know, $50 roast? But there's always somebody, and if not, you know, our family can always use it. So there's there's been little issues, for sure, dealing with our butchers over time, learning what they're good at. I actually use four different butchers, and they all have something that they're good at. And over time and trial and error, you know, I'll, when I get a batch of sausage made, it's usually 100 pounds of flickering or bratwurst or, or sausage or smokies. So when it doesn't turn out good <laughs> for the first time if I'm trying it from that butcher, that's a lot of meat to go through and get rid of. So that in itself has been a learning curve. I feel like I've really got the products nailed down well and that everything that I sell now tastes good. It's easy to eat. Everything's gluten because my daughter was actually just diagnosed celiac uh, this, this past year. I think it just takes time to figure out what you're good at and, and really having a close relationship with your butcher and talking to them and explaining like every single little detail. You know, I, I make our own bone broth and last December They were separating all my bones quite well. I thought again this month, but they didn't because I didn't put them on the cut sheet. But you know what? That's okay. That's my fault. It's just another reinforcement that I really have to be clear on those cut instructions to give them exactly what I want. So for anyone in the meat industry, that's an important one. Having a good relationship with your butcher, being patient with them, they're working hard, and then just making sure you give them all those little details that you want. That's important for sure.
0: For sure. Well, I like what you said before, like you don't know what you don't know. So... Going forward with these things, once you know what people are good at and what areas they can focus on, whether that's your butcher or whether that's a marketing agency or anything of the services that you use to make your farm successful, I think once you know those things, then you're able to utilize them in the way that you need to. And, you know, if they're not working out the way that you need them to, then you know what to look for in the future.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yep. You don't know until
0: you know. <laughs> yeah. So I want to flip this now. Share with us some wins that you've had that you want to celebrate.
1: Most of the wins have kind of happened in the last year or so. Last year, we were actually nominated by our county, Woodland County, for the Female Farm Family Award. I was sad we didn't actually get to attend the award ceremony this year because it was canceled because of COVID. But that's a very wonderful award to win. So we felt very blessed in that sense. We've won a few other little awards, too, through our count for farm events, attending Northland and beef tech and whatnot. So those are those are neat things. And all because we're involved in our community. Brett, he is a member of the West Central Forge Association and he was VP for a few years and now he sits on the board. I ran the play group for a few years here in our community. I volunteered. I the presence president at the local play and I started that with a girlfriend and then I taught there for a few years. And just involved in our community as much as we can. Not so much in the last few years, I'll admit, just the kids in the farm have really upped in demand. But I think being involved in your community and volunteering is so important, and it just builds relationships. That open doors, holy smoke. When you volunteer, it is like the best way you can spend your time giving back to your community. So we did that, and those awards make us feel very good, and it's nice to be appreciated for everything that we do. We hosted Albert Open Farm Days for the very first time. I had been a participant the year prior in a market for Alberta, George Pegg, the Botanic Gardens. And then this year, I'm like, you know what? I want to, I want to host. I want to have people come here. And it was the grand opening for our farm store. So that was August 16th, 2020. And yeah, that was when we had over 400 people come out and attend our event. So that was to me a huge win. I expected maybe 150, 200 people. So that was pretty neat to see the community support there. Another small win I think in a way is I stopped doing my deliveries to St. Albert to City and even to Whitecourt when COVID came and we just we were I was getting swamped with orders. I'd been through a really tough winter last year, which I'll go into a little bit next, but I just said, you know what guys, if you want our meat, it's a twenty minute drive out of our farm from Whitecourt or Marithorpe, you're just gonna have to come out. And people did. You know, if they really wanted it, they, they would come out and they'd drive and they'd pick up their box and it was it was working. So to me, that was a huge win. I didn't have to take product into everybody anymore. St. Albert, I was doing that monthly and actually I had the town this fall contact me and say, hey, we understand you're operating as a business in the town of St. Albert. And I'm like, yes. And like, you need a business license and you can't operate with a trailer in a residential area oh no i'm like i don't want to buy a business license and pay you know a few more hundred dollars it just takes a lot of you know it just adds into your costs right so i said okay guys sorry no more deliveries but my butcher who's in north edmonton northeast edmonton he was like he's amazing and he's like you know what you can leave your boxes is here, and people can come pick up here. So I have a pickup location at our butcher in northeast Edmonton, and that's worked out really well. We have a couple restaurants that buy from in downtown Edmonton, and then we have all of our customers around Sherwood Park and Goose Grove and Edmonton, St. Albert and Stony Plains and wherever, and they come and they pick up from there at their convenience, which has worked out really well because they don't have to come and meet me at a time at a specific place. They can just go there when they can. So that was honestly a huge win because when you have to pack up three kids and a meat trailer full of orders and go into the city, it's not too much fun. (laughs) I mean, it is because I get to see all my customers and I was so thankful, but my kids are always kind of going crazy. So that was definitely a win for this year. And then going back to resiliency, making hay, I think, what was it, 2019? Yeah, it was a really, really wet year and our hay quality was, brutal. Everybody's was. And we bought a wrapper to wrap the bales and make baleage. And so what we did was we had all this baleage, but when you have baleage, you have to feed this out every day. And we like to bale graze our cows. And that means you put out all these hay bales throughout the field, you use electric fences, and you let them have like 100 bales at a time, and then will last them days or maybe seven days for the numbers that we're at now. And so we were feeding every single day. Well, Brett went to work in the new year, and I was left with the three kids my daughter, she was five at the time, in kindergarten, for two days a week, and I had to feed these cows. So my dad, my parents had moved up, that they work full time. So he would come over when he could, and then my neighbor would come over and she'd watch the kids once in a while. But otherwise, I would stick all three kids in the tractor, and we'd go out and we'd feed cows for at least take at least two hours, three hours, and uh, they would just they've just learned to do it because it was a job that we had to get done, and that was really tough. <laughs> getting those cows fed we did hire a guy for the month of February it was super cold and I was just struggling having a hard time keeping up with it but we kept those cows fed my kids I would strap their bicycle helmets on the in when we'd go in the tractor and when they're close to the windows sometimes they would bonk their head on the window so for anyone packing kids in the tractor bicycle helmets <laughs> it does the trick for sure and yeah we got through that winter and then it was calving season I was on my own still and these cows would start calving I think I calved out about 70 cows on my own. Getting through a winter like that, that was, I call that a win because I got to learn a lot and pretty amazing what you can push your body to do. And then to carry on through the summer and then open the store, that was that was a big year for sure. And then the pandemic. <laughs> so a lot of things happened. But that pandemic, definitely a win, but definitely a silver lining in that for us farm stores.
0: Yes, absolutely. So Jillian, for people looking to start a farm store, what do you think some of your top pieces of advice would be?
1: I think to establish a customer base, you know, before you invest all the money into opening a building and my freezer alone was $4,300 building was six, then to line it with insulation, There's a lot of costs, right? And a lot of hidden costs. Gravel was a few thousand. Fencing was a couple thousand. So I think, Making sure that you have a customer base that's loyal and coming to you, either if you establish that through farmer's markets or social media or however you want to do that. I think that's very important so people know about your product. Having a good website, I think that's important to have that your products are clear. People know what you offer, that's another important one, and having confidence in your product too. That's a huge one. So, like I said about the different sausages and whatnot, I've got a lot of confidence in every single one of my products now. There's nothing that I sell that I'm like, oh, that's not up to snuff, but I need to move that. No, everything in the freezer now is, is bang on, top notch. So those three things for sure. I think setting boundaries, too, is very important. I set my hours to Sundays, mostly, so families could bring their little kids out. But also because... I needed time week to take my beef to the butcher and take my pigs and my chickens in. I needed time to get my products organized. Also, my time is very, very precious and needed. With our three kids and our busy life, I can handle three hours on Sunday. It is busy, so I think come summer I'll be extending the hours. But for now, I set those boundaries and they've worked really well. If people make it, I say I'm open throughout the week by appointment. And I get drop-ins probably every two days. But I try and keep them short and people are pretty respectful of my time too. Quite often if people come not during the start, they want to talk and talk. And I think it's important, you know, if you feel like you can do that, that's fantastic. But if you can't, if you've got kids, you know, that need you, it's important to, to let them know and set and,
0: uh, those boundaries for sure. Those are all great tidbits for people looking up in a farm store. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. What are your future plans for Blue Ridge Farm and your farm store?
1: So this year, like I said, we'll be opening uh, probably another day during the week. And my goal, because this is my passion, is to have more families come out, and especially from the city where kids have not had a farm experience. I get lots of families that were St. Albert and Edmonton customers coming out and their kids have never seen animals. They may have seen a dog or a cat. But they've never seen chickens. They've never seen a pony or cows or anything like that, and their eyes just light up, and they are full of life and awe and wonder, and I don't know if it's the mom and me or, or whatever, but seeing that is just pure magic. And then they're running off into the food collecting eggs, and they found this egg, and it's like they think it is your golden egg. You know, they're just in love with these eggs. And then I look at the parents, and I look into their eyes, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, they're just so happy watching their kids and they're taking photos and you can see the moms and the dads, like, they're happy together and it's just an amazing feeling. And to me, I think that's kind of what it's all been, like, it's all kind of grown to be about. I didn't realize when I started selling meat that that's what it was going to be kind of based around, to so have uh, a goat, uh, some lambs, probably a couple cows and calves, a pony gemma. She's a white pony. so We call her our chubby unicorn pony. And uh, she's a hit with the kids because she's just it and an absolute dream for children. And then we'll have our pigs because my pigs, <laughs> I'm a terrible pig farmer <laughs> because my pigs escape all the time. I don't know if anybody was watching on social media, but I would post often about how my pigs were escaping. And they're completely free range all over a farm. And they often would go with the cattle. <laughs> and they just hung out with the cattle way out in the field so they're very free range pigs but we're going to expand and put in a proper pen for them and just have them closer to the viewing area for for these families to come out and have that farm experience we're going to be putting i'm getting some uh, fire pits made so people can come out and they can buy a wiener package a s'mores package some burgers that kind of thing and they can come out and have a nice little family time around the campfire that kind of experience and whatnot and we'll just kind of keep it at that for this year. I have so many other ideas, but I have to keep myself in check and accountable for what I can do. As we're expecting our fourth baby in July. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of growth
0: this year. This will be a growing year for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for you and the future of your farm. It just sounds like you have so many wonderful ideas and how you guys can continue to incorporate the community into your farm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Community is what
0: it's all about for sure. Absolutely. Jillian, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer?
1: I think definitely having the space, the lifestyle, the relationships that I get to have with my husband and my children and my family. That is a very unique way of living. I believe that you still have to live your life and you have to work hard, but it's a life that I'm very proud to offer my children and experience that with them over the next whatever, years or so. Hopefully I'm around that long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thats I, I think having this lifestyle is uh, very unique and we just love it. To have families coming out and having those experiences, that, that's a huge, huge part of why I'm doing this business because it's a lot of work. But I think offering those types of experiences are going to only become more and more popular. People are only becoming more connected to their food and how it's raised. That's my big slogan on my farmer's market banner was how is your food raised and this year this past year has really opened people's eyes to that so yeah being home with my kids and working alongside my husband that's pretty special family time for sure that's number one and to have the family come definitely and listening to my two-year-old oh my gosh he talks about cows all day long the first thing he talks about when he wakes up cows bad cow mad cow (laughs) (laughs) and just talks about cows so obviously the passion is coming out through them too. It's pretty cute.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great things about farm life. And I'm so happy that you were able to come cast today and share your story and share where you guys came from to where you guys are now. And I just think it's so great. And I think your story will resonate and inspire a lot of people. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Caitlin. It's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit more, and I hope this helps other people that are wanting to open their own farm store because I think it's going to be a, a huge trend. So, if anyone has questions, just give me a shout. But thank you very much, Caitlin. I appreciate it.
0: For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online?
1: www.blueridgefarm with an S on the end.ca That's our website. And then we're on social media, so uh, Instagram and Facebook.
0: Those are the two outlets that I do the Ridge Farm. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you.
1: Beauty. That sounds great, Caitlin. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at Wild Rose Farmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media.
1: Positively Farming Media
0: is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo.
1: Each month in our member-only online community, new learning
0: modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away.
1: Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.